0: Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie
1: Martin. Hello, Texas. Jump on in with me. Buckle up and let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation. Texas agriculture in the news today we'll talk about the cattle contract library bill it's a bill that was introduced a couple of weeks ago to help improve price transparency in the fed cattle market we'll talk with Texas congressman Henry Cuellar he co-sponsored that bill will get his take on how it will improve the cattle market situation. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced Farm News team in the Lone Star State and we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley.
2: With environmental policy still evolving, A Texas panhandle man is in a special position to advise EPA on how to treat agriculture. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today.
3: U.S. red meat exports up to Central American countries. I'm
1: Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Cattle Contract Library Act was introduced in Congress recently and is making its way through the legislative process. Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar says he co-sponsored the bill with South Dakota Republican Dusty Johnson.
4: But basically what this does, it would uh, direct the USDA Ag Marketing Service to establish a contract library for cattle contracts. It's important because it will provide what we call price discovery or market transparencies as uh, producers look to make marketing decisions uh, and certainly you know helps them negotiate the price of cattle. Why is that important? Because again, we need to have some sort of balance uh, between uh, the packers, uh, to be honest with you, the packers and and the cattle folks. And this is why uh, this is uh, this uh, Cattle Contract Library Act of uh, 2021 is supported by my friends at the American Farm Bureau, the National Cattle Beef Association, the U.S. Cattle Association, the Livestock Marketing Association. So it's basically uh, one that um, uh, will provide what I call a little balance, a little transparency, uh, to the uh, process that we're seeing right now.
1: Cuellar says the bill has
4: bipartisan
1: support and has a very good chance of becoming law.
4: You know, I, I do. You know, it looks like uh, it, it got marked out. We filed it. Uh, And it looks like it's, uh, you know, uh, it moved out of committee. So we're going to look uh, to try to set it up on the floor as soon as possible. So this is uh, exciting uh, that we'll be uh, moving this. And again, uh, a low transparency, uh, market transparency, a low uh, balance uh, between our Uh, cattle races as as they go and and negotiate. So we're good uh, on that. I think it's going to move forward.
1: The House Agriculture Committee has already passed the bill with strong support. The outlook is good for cool season vegetables in the Rio Grande Valley this year.
5: Despite a dry start for some cool season crops in the Rio Grande Valley and South Texas, prospects for vegetables like onions, leafy greens, carrots, and kale are reportedly good. According to the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, some of the crops that were planted early in the valley suffered a bit due to dry weather conditions, but the recent rains have helped. Plant stands for the vegetables now look good in the valley, and the outlook is good as well, provided that the good weather holds out. AgriLife reports production costs for farmers have risen by about 30% over last year, land rents have gone up, and adequate labor for vegetable farmers is getting harder and harder to find. AgriLife reports that farmers in Texas are expected to plant about 6,000 acres of onions this year and about 2,000 acres of carrots. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domo.
1: Temperatures have dipped below freezing in much of the Texas panhandle this week, and that increases the chances of cyanide or prussic acid poisoning. Hemp Hill County agent Andy Holloway.
6: Well, cyanide and prussic acid are big killers on sorghum, sudan, grass plants that cattle may ingest or any ruminant animal for that matter, even like a deer. So we've had good rainfall in most areas through the course of this growing season. There's lots of Johnson grass. I've seen it all over everywhere, out in pastures, around well sites and bar ditches. And so any kind of sorghum plant, that could be milo for a farmer. It could be milo stalks. It could be Johnson grass, like I already mentioned. It could be hay grazer that somebody planted for hay. If a cow comes along and eats that right at the time of a freeze and that plant is not fully dead, there's the potential that she's going to get cyanide or prussic acid poisoning.
1: Holloway says a cow can die within 30 minutes of eating a sorghum-type grass after a freeze.
6: One of our local ranchers, a good friend of mine, Jason Abraham, here a few years ago, was gathering a pasture about the same time of the year. He gathered this pasture of cattle, brought them in. He noticed four pairs. They ran off. He couldn't get them gathered in with the main group, so he went back for them a couple hours after he got there, and he got up on an oil field well site and found his four cows, their calves standing by them. Those cows had eaten a bunch of Johnson grass around an oil well site. And laid there and died and i mean it just been two hours since he had seen them so it's real deadly there's another producer here six seven years ago in the south part of our county had some yearlings he had seven of them die and so it's easy to test for people can bring in samples to our facility we'd send it off to the lab get it tested So if you've got any kind of Johnson grass or sorghum sudan plants in your grazing, you need to get your cattle off of them. They need to stay off probably 10 days or two weeks. Once that plant's fully dead, you can turn back in without any kind of problems. It's the regrowth, though, that gives a problem. So if the plant's not fully dead, don't graze it.
1: Holloway encourages cattle producers to be extra cautious if you have these sorghum Sudan-type grasses on your property. He says just losing one cow is a $1,500 to $2,000 loss. As federal environmental policy evolves, a Texas panhandle producer is in a special position to advise the EPA on how to treat agriculture. James Hunt has more from Amarillo.
2: In his daily work, Tom McDonald of Canyon is Senior Vice President of Environmental Affairs and Sustainability for Five Rivers Cattle Feeding, but he's also serving as Chairman of the EPA's Farm, Ranch, and Rural Communities Federal Advisory Committee. It's a position McDonald was originally appointed to last year, which means McDonald and his fellow advisory committee members' work has bridged the transition from Trump to Biden. While many saw the Trump administration as being friendly toward agriculture on environmental policy, there's been some concern in agriculture about where the Biden team is headed on matters related to pesticides, methane emissions, and certainly WOTUS, the waters of the US. I asked McDonald for his take on how agriculture should view the Biden administration's regulatory posture.
7: James, I think it's too early to tell how that will really play out. One thing we do know, is President Biden issued an executive order for all of the agencies to review Trump-era policies. And that is what the agencies are doing at this time. And so our job and what we're striving to do at this point, like with Lotus, is to give the administration, give the EPA in this case, advice on what's important for agriculture and how they need to develop policies that will work best for agriculture and the rural communities that we represent.
2: In our next report, more from Tom McDonald about the EPA Advisory Committee's work, including information on an upcoming public meeting you can be a part of. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: U.S. red meat exports to Central America have reached new heights. Tom Nicoletti tells us beef exports are up 60 percent to that region.
3: Central America has been a star performer for U.S. beef and pork exports in 2021. Through August, beef exports to the region were nearly 60% above last year, while pork exports were up 46% from the record pace of 2020. Lucia Ruano is the U.S. Meat Export Federation's representative in Central America and Dominican Republic
8: the pandemic everybody had to be more creative on creating new business and new ways of getting to the end consumer. Different channels open this year. We have like the delivery platforms that are new in the region. We also have the increase of sales volume that we see in retail stores. People used to just eat the US meats in the restaurants, they were used to that. But now we've been reaching these end consumers that are very happy to learn how they can cook their cuts at home. And we have gained more customers. This has helped to increase the volume of consumption in each of the countries, even though we had a lot of restrictions during the pandemic.
3: The USMEF representative says red meat exports are also strengthened by zero tariff duties under the Central American Free Trade Agreement, which now applies to nearly all United States meat entering the region.
8: From this year, all the countries except Panama are able to import pork and beef from the U.S. with 0% tariff. That is an advantage for us and a benefit. People now can decide, but when they try the U.S. beef, they can perceive the difference, and they usually like more the beef from the U.S.
3: I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
8: The
5: weekend that many hunters across Texas have been waiting for is finally here. I'm Jessica Dolmull, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today.
1: And rattlesnake bites are common in many parts of Texas. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
9: It's been a tough year. As a farmer or rancher, you know life in agriculture is often stressful. Things like the economy, finances, weather, and even a pandemic increase our stress levels and can leave us feeling defeated. With a demanding workload, it seems that there isn't room for the soft stuff, like talking about feelings. Yet, talking about the hard times can be one of the best ways to manage this stress. Although we can't always control or choose our circumstances, we can control and choose how we respond to them. Sometimes that response looks like asking for help. Some would say the best quality of a farmer or rancher is their independent spirit. But what is agriculture without its community? A force of helpers, neighbors, extension, Farm Bureau members, friends, counselors, and pastors. We are stronger together. Find someone you can talk to. Find the help you need. The Southwest Ag Center is working with the Texas Department of Agriculture to identify stress assistance and resources. Visit swagcenter.org slash stress to learn more.
0: We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas
1: agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Rattlesnake bites are very common across much of our state. Dr. Bob Judd says antivenom is a recommended treatment.
10: Although antivenom is not necessary in all snake bite cases, it usually decreases hospital stay and saves many dogs that would otherwise not survive. Antivenom contains antibodies from hyperimmunized sheep or horses as these animals are injected with venom to incite and improve the immune response. Serum is then removed from these animals and the serum is injected into the dog that was bitten. Anavenom is very expensive even for dogs and you can see why, considering all the testing and lab work that must be performed. There are different types of antivenom, and a recent study looked at the effectiveness of three different products. All three antivenom products were very effective with a survival rate of 95, 98, and 93% of dogs, although some patients required multiple doses. Reactions to antivenom is always a concern, but reaction rates to all antivenoms tested was less than 7%, and the animals that did not survive, 75% were small dogs, less than 20 pounds. One was bitten in the thorax, and one was bitten three times. The lethality of the venom is related to the volume of venom injected, toxicity of the venom, location of the bite, and venom distribution. Surprisingly, dogs bitten on the chest are more likely to die than those bitten in other areas, and I observe this in my practice. Even though bites are commonly on the head and cause significant swelling, most of these dogs survive, especially if given antivenom. However, those bitten on the chest have a decreased chance of survival, as do those that weigh less or those that have transfusion reactions. Although antivenom is expensive, in most cases it's worth the cost. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: The weekend that many Texas hunters have been waiting for is finally here. Jessica Domo tells all about it in today's Wildlife Report.
5: The day that many hunters across Texas have been waiting for will finally be here this weekend. Whitetail deer hunting season for 252 Texas counties opens Saturday. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department is forecasting a good season for hunters in most areas of the state. Alan Kane, TPWD's Whitetail Deer Program Leader, joins us with more.
11: You know, the Hill Country has the highest deer density in the state, so if you're just looking for deer numbers, that area around Lano, Mason, Kerr, Kimball County, Blanco, those areas right there, land passes, those are generally going to have pretty high deer densities and lots of opportunity for hunters. Obviously, South Texas, a little bit lower deer density, but fewer hunters, too, because you have larger tracts of land, lower hunter densities, and that's going to translate into good age structure in the buck segment of the population. So those hunters looking for these older age class bucks, these trophy quality animals, you're probably going to see those down in South Texas or up in the panhandle for that matter, too. But even in the Piney Woods and post up Savannah, they had really good conditions. Fawn crops should be really good up there. We're hearing a little bit of concern from a few folks around that McCullough County area, there's some parts up there where some folks are seeing some low fawn crops that we're not exactly sure what's going on, although it could be predators. Just coyote numbers have been increasing in the hill country over the last 10 years or so with the change in land use practices. And as such, they're probably having a greater impact on the fawn crop out there.
5: That was Alan Kane, TPWD's Whitetail Deer Program Leader. Again, Whitetail Deer hunting season officially opens Saturday. For this year's hunting regulations, be sure to consult the Outdoor Annual. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel.
1: It was a lower trade on Thursday for cattle, cotton, and grains. We'll update all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today.
3: In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail
0: We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today.
1: It was a lower trade in the cattle markets on Thursday. We finished lower in both live and feeder cattle. December live cattle dropped $1.02 to close the day at $1.30.62. February down $0.80, one thirty five eighty five. April live cattle down 60 one thirty-eight eighty-two. November feeder cattle down $1.15 to finish at $158.02. January feeders down a 158 $158.17. The March down $0.82, cents, $159.32. Cash-fed cattle market saw some trade at midweek at $128. However, the feedlots decided to crack down and ask for more money here at the end of the week. The asking prices moved to $130 here in the south, $132 up north. Boxed beef prices higher on Thursday. Choice up a dollar five at two eighty nine fifty four. Select up a dollar sixty two sixty nine thirty two. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble.
12: A trip over to Abilene to talk to Henry Pickett from Abilene Livestock about his Tuesday sale. Henry, how'd the domino game shake out?
7: Well, that was pretty good. Uh, yearlings and calves are kind of steady on the better quality they might have been a touch higher lesser quality cattle are in a steady decline for the last two or three weeks as well as you know the whole market but Mm -hmm. then they put a little bit of money on the high yielding packer cows and the high yielding bulls
12: okay the shiniest consignment that went through do you remember what they brought
7: oh we had a set of branch calves that were weaned weighing probably in the fives and they bring upwards of 160 165 good they were steers Good. Uh, we had some uh, four-weight heifers that bring up there in that 150 to 60. They'd be all off one ranch, and we're sold in big lots. Uh-huh. And uh, But overall, everything was pretty good. We ended up with just a shy number under 1,500 with about 210 cows.
12: Good. Now, what are we anticipating next week?
7: Well, were, we're getting a little moisture right now, so it's kind of hard to say. We had a few people call in early, and just if it rained, they might, and if it rained, they might not. So we're just kind of on hold.
12: I got you. Well, we will uh, touch base with you. Uh, early Tuesday morning to see how many of the people that were on hold brought cattle in. Tell everybody how to contact
7: Here at the barn, we can be reached at 325 673 7865, or my cell number is 940 733 8208.
12: Henry, thank you so much for being a part of Walking the Pens on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Texas Farming and Ranching Neighbors, thank you so much too. We appreciate you so much. We'll pour you another glass of iced tea same time tomorrow. Good day.
1: Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where Lean Hogs closed strongly higher on Thursday. December hogs up a dollar ninety two, seventy seven eighty seven, the February up a dollar sixty two at eighty seventeen. Class three milk was lower, November milk down fifteen cents, seventeen ninety three a hundred weight, December milk down 8 a hundred. The cotton market moved sharply lower following a disappointing USDA weekly export sales report Thursday morning. In the report, shipments did show some strength, however, overall sales were off. China was the top buyer. We closed with December cotton down 236 points, 116.46, March cotton down 253 at 112.91, December 22 cotton down 84 points. Ninety-one point seventy-six cents. The grain markets drifted lower throughout the trade Thursday. We closed with December corn down four and three quarters, five fifty-nine and a quarter. March corn down four and a half, five sixty-seven and three quarters. In the wheat complex, July Kansas City wheat was down a nickel, seven seventy-eight and three quarters. July Chicago wheat down seven and a half, 7.79 a bushel. The energy markets were lower, December natural gas down 17 cents at 565. December crude oil down $1.53 at $79.33 a barrel. The financial markets were mixed on Thursday, the Dow down 33 points, 36,124, the Nasdaq up 128 at 15,940, the S&P up 19 points, 4,680. That wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin, hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture.
0: Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information,